but I will say that more often than not, there is a calculation that I have made that acknowledges that race and prejudice is a real thing. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Earlier this summer, we here at Status Go began a series of conversations on the topic of race, specifically race in technology. In this series, we are amplifying the voices of our African-American colleagues. We seek to learn, we seek to understand, we seek to build diversity, inclusion, and engagement in our organizations. InterVision is committing to building this in our own organization. I'm your host, Jeff Tunt. In today's episode, I'm joined by Terry Morris. Terry is the Director of Information and Digital Solutions at Eli Lilly and Company, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Terry is also the National President for BDPA, formerly known as the Black Data Processing Association, the premier organization focused on nurturing and developing diverse working professionals and future IT leaders in the science, technology, engineering, and math, and all digital technology fields. Welcome to the show, Terry. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. Terry, before we get into your background and the work of the BDPA, I would really like to jump right in on something. When you last spoke, you made a comment that really caught my attention. You said, as a Black leader, you've been conditioned not to be a black leader. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, uh, thanks again, uh, Jeff, and look forward to the dialogue here uh, today. You know, the no question that race is a thing in corporate America. I'm fortunate to work for a company where I believe we have been actively discussing race and in seeking to enact um, awareness that can drive different results. You know, over the course of my uh, professional career and, uh, and just in living, <laughs> uh, it is something I, I grapple with uh, day in and day out. When is it acceptable relative to the outcome that I'm seeking uh, for me to be my authentic self versus when uh, would it uh, help the outcome that I'm seeking to seek to be less authentic, if, if that makes, makes sense? And it's something I, I've really um, I've struggled with throughout my several decades of, of uh, being a professional uh, in, in the IT space. But I don't think it's just an IT uh, challenge. But I will say that uh, here the last you know, couple of years, I feel the... Uh, the narrative and the and the cultural acceptance of authenticity increasing, mm-hmm. that, that actually increasing in a way that has allowed me to feel more comfortable um, bringing you know, more of myself uh, to my day job and in any, in anywhere else. 
Uh, so I, I personally feel like we're trending in the right direction. However, um, there's still a journey uh, that that needs to be needs to be progressed on. Terry, can you think of an example or a situation where you didn't bring your authentic self because you went through that thought process? I would just I'm I'm curious if that would help our audience understand a bit more about the complexities of having to navigate that. I unfortunately will be generic in this, um, but I will say that more often than not, there is a calculation that I have made um, that uh, acknowledges that race and prejudice is a real thing. And so Mm -hmm. in my personal calculation, I have sought to minimize the impact of that of that potential. And let me let me give you just a, a little bit of context about a personal experience that I had just a few uh, weeks ago, about a month ago. Uh, so I, one of the things I enjoy doing is cycling, my way of, of combating the um, the pandemic weight gain. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I was out on one of my longer rides. Uh, about a, I was targeting 32 miles uh, that day round trip. And uh, in about seven or so miles in, you know, I was attacked by a, a white male cyclist. I mean, he, he knocked me un- unconscious. Uh, I had ended up with a severe concussion um, and a whole host of, of things that I'm you know, managing through. Um, and he, as I'm told, because I was not unconscious uh, at that time, that, um, that he said, uh, he stopped and he said to those that were around, uh, that I hope you all saw this. And then he got back on his bike and, and rode off as I uh, was there left, left suffering. So that instance, you know, reminds me that, that there are still vestiges of the, of the past in our present today. Mm-hmm. And some of that isn't left at the front doors of corporations. <laughs> um, I would yeah. offer that uh, those behaviors uh, aren't the majority, uh, but they are, Prevalent. Um, just to put a pin on that sentence, uh, I got a, a, a ping uh, in my place of work uh, a couple of days after returning by a, a, a colleague who happens to be a physician, and they said that they came to my aid on that day, um, and they subsequently went to, went on to tell me that they held my head, um, and this was a white female. She held my yeah. head to minimize the implication of any neurological damage. So, you know, even in that experience, um, you got kind of a dichotomy yeah. That, yeah. that plays out. So, you know, I, I offer that up as a, you know, it's real to me and quite prevalent in my, in my lived experience. But I acknowledge that, that, that in the midst of the, uh, what might be uh, pain, uh, there is hope. Uh, and, and I, I, prefer to focus on the hopeful side of, of situations of that sort. That's an excellent attitude for anyone to take. I, I can only imagine your, uh, your internal dialogue in this last month, uh, having to deal with that. Uh, you, You mentioned at the outset that you feel that progress is being made and you're able to bring more of your authentic self to situations is that a result of your 
your calculation as you describe it, taking in new inputs and seeing change, or are you feeling more confident? Is it all of the above? Yeah, you know, it depends. It depends on the day, <laughs> uh, quite quite honestly, uh, and the situation and the individuals that I'm I'm interacting with. Um, you you mentioned at the onset that one of my uh, night jobs is the BDPA national president, and I can tell you that here the past month, uh, every bit of energy I can put into BDPA, it would take it. Uh, it's a volunteer yeah. role, so I have to be measured. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. However, it's passion uh, on display. And I say it will take it because companies are coming to us looking for a, a vehicle to help uh, meet, in some cases, their new desire for diverse talent. And I'd say in, in more cases, it's more aggression around the outcome that I'm seeing a level of dissatisfaction now in, in the results that, that is translating into their desire for uh, to lean into, into this space. So, so that is also informing my hopefulness that I'm seeing a level of frustration around the lack of results where people are saying um, the, the previous actions aren't, aren't translating into results that we now are fully committed to. Yeah, you're right. I I feel that as well. I feel that personally. Uh, I know you and I have spoken a, l- a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Uh, but I also feel that in in the organizations that I'm involved in, that there is that dissatisfaction with the results. And and when you look at African Americans in the tech space specifically, I, I think the numbers are like eight percent or yeah. or something like that, and they haven't moved much. Uh, in the years. So we do have a a lot of work to do. I'd love to back up and if you don't mind sharing a bit more of your story, how did you become involved in technology as you were going through your education and your schooling? Take us through that journey a little bit. Sure, sure. You know, you know, interestingly, so I grew up in a small town in Florida, uh, 7,000 people in the city and, 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 20,000 in the county. So that, that gives you context. Uh, very rural, rural Florida. And I was uh, working at Little Caesars Pizza in a, a Kmart down there, which was our mall. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I saved up $500. This was back in 1994. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the uh, one computer shop in town and I had my $500 and I was ready to buy my first computer. And uh, I just happened to run into the owner that day. He's normally not there. He's normally all, all over the country. Uh, I just happened to run into him, a you know, white gentleman. And I told him what I was looking to do. And he said, well, hey, let me let me give you a call in a few, few days. I really didn't understand why. <laughs> so, yep. But he gave me a call a few days. And, um, and he said, well, I'll tell you what I want to do. Uh, I want to offer you a job creating web pages. And Every check you get, we'll use half of it to pay for the computer and half of it um, to to go to you as compensation. And I'm like, is this a joke? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I never met the met the guy damn alive, um, and he didn't know me. But it was something about the uh, the interaction that inspired him to give a, a young guy a chance. 
prior to that, engineering is where I would have been headed. I think industrial engineers was was my target. Um, but I got a chance to work for that company, creating web pages and and ultimately providing support for. They were an ISP for about ten uh, cities around the, the country, all out of this little rural town in Perry, Florida. Uh-huh. So that deepened my technical uh, pedigree and shifted me down a, a, a technical path. I chose Florida A&M University uh, as my institution for my undergraduate degree. Had a great experience there. Interned with IBM and AT and T and Federal Federal Express um, while in Florida at FAMU. I had an opportunity to to run a digital divide initiative by the then governor. Uh, Jet Bush had formed in partnership with, with FAMU. So, so all of that kind of deepened my resolve for tech, but also how might we seek to close the digital divide and access uh, to tech? And who knew 20 years later uh, that I would have the ability to, to do both um, yeah. you know, in my day job and um, with the work that I do uh, with, with BDPA. So I, I count myself blessed uh, for sure. That is an amazing story. And, and- I think one that our listeners probably will be a little surprised by that random act of call it random act of kindness, call it a, a, he saw something in you that sparked that. So I just think that's a, a fascinating story. I got to ask a tangential question though. What type of computer were you going to buy? <laughs> it just was curious. a, a 486 DX266. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. I asked because I, I did a blog series a couple of years ago interviewing a bunch of CIOs on yeah. their path to CIO. And it was like 90%. Their first computer was a Commodore 64. Now, you, you given, know, I, given uh, I'm, I'm a couple decades older than you, <laughs> Uh, that probably plays out well. <laughs> yeah, I, I made it past the Commodore as, as the mainstream plate. Um, but uh, that shop, they built all custom computers. Uh, it was a very unique opportunity for that community and a, and a, and a unique service offering there. So uh, I learned a lot from, from that experience for sure. That's amazing. So as, you, as you've progressed through your career, what are some of the challenges you faced being a black man in a predominantly white industry? What types of things have you run into, Terry? You know, I think that the, um, and I, I think that this is common no matter the, the institution, because uh, in all of my peer communities, it, the, the reframe is the same, uh, that the, the relevance and potential um, to be acknowledged in the midst of of, um, uh, the majority culture where there are less degrees of difference is is a challenge. You know, the the, the more different you are, the the more effort there is to to make that difference not a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something that that I, Face that I, I, it is a something that we in BDPA recognize as a thing, and we are constantly trying to help our constituents seek to to understand uh, the dynamics that ultimately have to be managed, such that they can reach their full potential. Because the um, you know some of, some of the messaging we've been leveraging is the future is now. 
and companies, and I had a great appreciation for the conversation yesterday with, uh, with the speaker that was given a very evidence-based framework for how the inherent implications of ignoring race <laughs> or ignoring diversity in the, even the product world, uh, right. you, you will do, you know, stupid stuff, <laughs> um, yeah. ultimately undermine your existence or potential to exist because you didn't do the hard, uh, you didn't do the work to ensure that your uh, those who are making decisions and informing the choices bring enough perspective to ensure that you, you're covered. Um, right. So there, there's a re- very clear business case there. So I, I think that for, for me, it's about making sure that, uh, that I can manage the, my energy <laughs> that it takes right. to navigate day-to-day, room-to-room, um, person-to-person. But it, it's something that uh, because the outcome is worth it, I'm willing to invest there. Um, right. but, but it, it is, it is tiring. <laughs> that's yeah. True. yeah. You know, that's one of the things that I think, uh, in the last few weeks, uh, since the, since the killing of George Floyd, that's one of the things that I've heard probably most often is how tired one gets when they have to fight those fights, uh, not literally, but fight those fights when you have to make the calculation on bringing your authentic self, it just wears on you. And to the point that some are tired of trying to, uh, I'll use air quotes that our audience can't see, teach us about the experience. And that's one of the reasons I really appreciate you coming on this show, Terry, because I empathize with that feeling of tiredness of the energy and, and I'm glad to hear you're encouraged by some of the the action, some of the activity that, you, that you've seen recently. I'd love to turn our attention to the BDPA. As we said at the at the intro, you're the national president. It's your, it's your night job, I think you called it. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about that organization and how that organization has shaped your career since you got involved with it. Yeah, uh, so BDPA was founded uh, back in 1975. Uh, we celebrate um, 45 years uh, of existence this year. The two founders were David uh, Wembley and, and uh, Earl Pace. Uh, David Wembley is no longer with us, but what Earl Pace is, I actually had occasion to check in with Mr. Pace uh, yesterday. We had a good, good chat. Excellent. Um, BDPA was founded by those individuals acknowledging that, you know, back in 1975, there weren't a lot of um, individuals that looked like them uh, in the technology uh, at that point. Of course, back then, uh, data processing was one of the brands that, uh, that, that this industry was using. So they decided uh, in the Philadelphia, D.C. area, hey, we need to we need to create a platform where people like us can grow and develop and nurture each other into um, into their full potential. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that was the genesis of, of BDPA back in 1975. And over the years, it has evolved into the fulfillment of its current model um, to advance careers from the classroom to the boardroom. So we have a whole host of programs for youth and uh, for uh, those who might be interested in pursuing a PhD, there is a research-based m- competition that we call the IT Showcase that's been going for 
30 plus years. I think we're on thir- year 32 now. Uh, have produced black PhDs that are teaching ar- around the U.S. Uh, through that program. Well, we have a newer program that's a mobile application development competition that's available for our, our youth. And we have a high school computing competition that is available for young people. So this summer, for example, at our uh, at our conference, we'll have dozens of students that are from around the country competing for scholarships and awards um, and that ultimately is a culmination of weeks of training uh, within their local chapters. Now, of course, this year has uh, challenged us a bit because of the uh, COVID uh, and social distance and all that that goes into that, uh, the, the stewardship of our of our person, COVID-19. Um, but but we've um, we fought past many of the barriers. So most of our programming with our young people are, are virtual. I have a 14 year old daughter and every Saturday morning and basically since January, she has been in classes, learning how to code, learning how to interact with dynamic databases, uh, having personal development. And it will culminate here in a couple of weeks at our national conference. And if, but that's kind of the youth side, the adult professional side of our world. Um, every other week, we have an opportunity for uh, one of our members or our friends to come and share a, a career and or tech talk that is intended to inspire and encourage and, and bring about awareness around the digital technology and digital transformations so that the barriers for progress are, are less. So how many chapters uh, across, is it, first of all, let me ask, is it a national organization or an international organization? No, very good question. It, it is a national organization. We have about 30 chapters in most urban areas around the country. Uh, we have about a thousand paid members. However, um, we aren't overly legalistic around engagement. <laughs> we sure. uh, while membership for adults is $100 and for youth, uh, $25, we've consciously decided that we want BDPA to be available for everyone. And membership uh, is preferred, uh, not required. Yeah, I think that's a, a great approach as well. It, it removes one of the barriers to, to people becoming members, right? It, and helps them get involved. Absolutely. Um, and forgive me if you mentioned this, but how many members, how many, what's the size of the organization these days? So our, our paid membership, we have about a thousand paid members. Uh, okay. However, our network has about 10,000 in it um, okay. because it has been around for a long time. <laughs> uh, and it a broad range from youth to um, adult professionals and CIOs, CEOs of, of companies that make up the membership of BDPA. So, for example, uh, the CIO for Deloitte, he wouldn't mind me saying this, Larry Quinlan is a member, uh, of B, a lifetime member of BDPA uh, and is always readily available whenever whenever we need something. I called him up here a couple of weeks ago and asked him to, to do a COVID-19 panel for us. Uh, and he read it, readily accepted. So, you know, we, we have access to uh, diverse and majority members across tech that want to lean into making a difference in CBDPA as a vehicle to do to do just that. Now, how did you get involved? When in your career and uh, kind of how did you 
become involved? And then how did you grow to be the national president? No, great, great question. So uh, before 2010, I had no idea that there there was a BDPA. <laughs> um, and my employer, Lily, decided to partner with BDPA as a um, engagement mechanism for recruiting talent and developing uh, leaders, which is which are two levers that, that BDPA is, of course, a platform to facilitate. So I started uh, BDPA because of my employer, uh, or started working with BDPA because of my employer. Uh, BDPA has been available for corporations for many years as a mechanism for uh, leadership development, talent recruitment, and beyond. So uh, in 2010, I was uh, given an opportunity to attend the BDPA conference uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. BDPA typically moves its conference around from city to city um, to create more opportunities and more more exposure. So Raleigh was my first uh, BDPA uh, conference. And the interesting thing is that BDPA has partnered with another group called the IT Senior Management Forum, ITSMF, uh, which is a group made up of, of primarily Black senior IT leaders within large corporations. And so they would always have their meeting together. So you would have youth, um, college students, adult professionals, and these senior leaders all under one uh, one umbrella. And I just was enamored by the, the culture, the experience, and the richness of the uh, content that BDPA was able to enable for me through its national uh, conference. So I became a fan um, and would go to BDPA conferences as often as I could and also began to get engaged with the local Indianapolis chapter for BDPA. Uh, back in 2014, the Indianapolis chapter hosted the national uh, conference for, for BDPA. And I didn't plan to become the president for BDPA in 2014. Unfortunately, the, the, the then president uh, took a job in Florida and I was the, the next person up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the year that the conference was coming to Indianapolis for the first time, I was the newly minted president for oh. the local Indianapolis chapter. No pressure, man. No pressure. Yeah, lucky me. <laughs> so, but it was a it was a great experience to to uh, to play in the national a national context with BDP to understand how the uh, how the sausage was made, and served as the uh, Indianapolis chapter for three years, and then I saw an opportunity uh, to to use some of my experiences and passion at the national level and BDPA uh, elected me national president in 2018 and um, for, in 2017 to start a term in 2018, I was reelected last year for a term that is uh, 2020 through 2021. Uh, then I'm term limited. So I would have given, I actually, because our bylaws had just recently changed, I believe I am the first um, uh two-term president within our organization because our, our bylaws previously didn't allow for it. Well, that's excellent. And I think it's uh, well-deserved based on what I've seen and, and heard others as they speak of you and your career. Terry, what if I'm not a black data processing professional? Can I get involved with BDPA? Can I become a member? Can I attend conference? Absolutely. And while BDPA or data processing is our heritage, 
it is not our emphasis uh, in uh, current state. Uh, we enable digital thought leadership in all things digital. I mean, the, the entire continuum um, of, of digital. Uh, and we, by all means, are not exclusive in terms of participation by any race, creed, or, or color. Uh, we'll have speakers that are from various disciplines. And um, for example, this year we have, um, uh, we'll have speakers from academia. The president of Florida A&M will be one of our speakers. We have someone from healthcare who happens to sit as a, a board member for Best Buy. Um, um, but we have diverse diversity in the content, but also the experiences. Now we will go tech. <laughs> there will be rich conversations about automation and analytics and you know, all the buzz in tech and opportunities to, to deepen aware of, you know, what, what's Google and Amazon doing? Because they will be there to tell you. Right, <laughs> uh, right. But there's also opportunities to, to have, um, you know, deepen your readiness for your career development. Because LinkedIn will be there to, to facilitate experiences for you. Before we wrap, could you tell us a little bit more about the annual conference, how people can get involved. Uh, I know it's going to be a little bit different this year, given the COVID environment. So tell us a little bit about the conference and and how people can find it and register for it. Well, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, if you go to BDPA dot, uh, pardon me, BDPA2020.com, BDPA2020.com, uh, you will see everything you need to know about the conference. Who's going to be there? What our schedule is? It is scheduled this year from August 20th through the 22nd. Um, we are powered by Six Connect. It is a virtual, uh, really world class virtual conference platform that is intended to really make it easy and seamless for you to go from one point to another. Um, while you will physically sit in, in the same spot, you will feel like you've been from room to room. Uh, you, you've been able to traverse corridors and have fluid interactions with anybody who is having an experience. And we also have a career fair uh, as a part of our conference. I think we're having about 40 companies that will be participating there, and they are hiring from all over the country uh, looking for talent. Um, uh, diverse talent is a primary focus, but not exclusive. So anyone is very much available to come across the technology discipline, and there may very well be an opportunity for you. And I should say, our career fair is free. Uh, the conference is at a cost of $150 for adults and $50 for uh, students, but the career fair is free. Anyone can come to the career fair and either of them are accessible from bdpa2020.com. Excellent. So some of our audience might be listening to this after the conference. Will there be recordings of some of the sessions available for people to see after the fact? Yes, there, there will be. And we will make that available from bdpa2020.com as well. Okay. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Terry, one of our goals behind this series on race is to not only learn, but to create a bias for action. Our audience has listened to us for about 30 minutes, maybe a little bit more. What are some things they should do tomorrow because they listen to you and I today? You know, um, I heard a quote here 
last week and, and they didn't know who said it. So I can't tell you who said it. <laughs> but the quote was, uh, diversity is a reflection of your heart. And so if you want your heart to reflect a progressive view of what is possible for all, then you have to lean there in. Um, and I, what I'd encourage is that every, everybody's version of leaning in is going to be different. I won't seek to prescribe, hey, do these three things and then you can be certified as someone who's leaning into diversity. So everybody's ver- the version of leaning in is going to be different. But I will encourage everyone to pick a version. Uh, pick at your version of progress. Uh, and then once you've made progress or hit your definition of success, then you know, set another goal um, in, in that context, whether it be in your organization and or for you personally in the space of diversity and inclusion. If everyone consciously choose to make progress and hold themselves accountable for that uh, in, in the not too distant future, the aggregate will feel it because we are what make up the tapestry uh, of this landscape. So every, if everyone leans in and choose consciously to, to make progress, progress will be felt. I think that is great advice, Terry. Thank you so much for that. I know our audience, uh, many will choose to lean in. And I think you're absolutely right. That's how change begins to happen. Terry, I got to thank you so much. I know uh, right now, especially a week or so in front of of conference, you have to just be slammed busy. And I really appreciate the time, especially considering the incident that you described at the outset. I just want you to know how much I personally appreciate talking with you several times over the last month or so and your participation in this podcast as well as uh, the webinar that we had yesterday that you referenced earlier. I just thank you so much. No problem. Glad to be here. Uh, Great work you're doing here. So was happy to participate. To our audience, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information, and we'll be sure and link to uh, the bdpa2020.com site in the show notes as well. This is Jeff Tun for Terry Morris. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.